That's in the Bible, episode 32. Are we alone in the universe? Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, powers at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, saves from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. Hello and welcome back to That's in the Bible. My name's Eric and uh, glad that you have tuned in yet again with us here on That's in the Bible. And we have our regulars here. We've got Pastor Strobel, Steve, and Matt. And let's start with uh, Pastor Strobel. Pastor Strobel, how are you doing today? I'm doing well tonight. Steve, I'm sorry to mean to cut you off there, Pastor. Nope, good to be here. Steve, how are you doing? I'm doing just fine. Thank you very much. And Matthew. I'm doing great. And here we are back. We uh, all were able to get together just this uh, last, um, what is it, about a week ago now, huh? Mm-hmm. And uh, we played a little can jam, didn't we, Steve? <laughs> oh, we did. <laughs> is that all you're going to say, Steve? Uh is there anything else to say? You could tell them that me and you won the first game. Absolutely. We skunked them bad. <laughs> yeah, but we all know the rules, though. You got to do best out of three. Uh, it, it sounded as ever, if it sounded, you know, never came up. That's right. It never came up at the beginning. And he, because he lost the first game, <laughs> then all of a sudden, well, let's do two out of three. And so we had to, we acquiesced. We were. You know, gracious enough to let them back in. I'll be honest with you. I never heard it in the beginning, middle, or end. I never heard it till tonight. Mm. Usually, it's just a given, though. I mean, usually you don't have to explain that. But well, I mean, let's just take my my first time. (laughs) If we just take the total games, there were three games, and you guys won one game, and Matt and I won two. So Mm. just I noticed as soon as they got ahead one game, he wanted to change teams. Yeah, no. Absolutely. You know, that's true. We never did two out of three matches, did we? We only did two out of three games. In other words, we could have... How many games are in a match? Well, there's three games in a match. I also noticed that they couldn't find the rules. (laughs) I think they're making excuses now, Dad. Uh, Uh, No excuses here. (laughs) I think I think there might be some excuses being made. I have no trouble eating humble pie. It seemed to me oh. the ones that had trouble eating humble pie were the ones that lost the first time. Wait they were minute. making excuses about the wind. They were talking about this, talking about that. Here we go. So we didn't make any excuses about the wind. We didn't make any <coughs> excuses about this was Pastor Strobel's first time. This is my second time. Throwing a frisbee? (laughs) Well, we're talking about playing a game. I mean, you know, normally you don't hit a frisbee and try to hit a bucket somewhere, you know. that's just don't normally do that when you throw a frisbee. All the banner aside, after we beat him, they they shook hands like gentlemen. We did? (laughs) (laughs) Shook my hand. (laughs) I I guess I was paired next to... um, you Eric, were next you were Eric, yes. a Matt, so maybe I wouldn't. I wouldn't touch Matt's hand. I <laughs> <laughs> it was a very fun game. I tell you, yeah, the cold was. weather though. I 
those I went and got gloves and that helped uh, the sting on my hands because that was rough. I I just want you to know that the wind doesn't blow only at my house. It wow, blows yeah, in Lockport, New York, too. <laughs> it might oh, have yeah. been even more windy at uh, Pastor Strobel's than yours. <laughs> it was pretty rough, wasn't it? We yeah. figured that that wind that uh, would certainly give you the advantage, Steve. Me? <laughs> Steve, because uh, he's used to the wind. He's That's just part of his home field advantage is that wind. Well, I was I was closer to the bucket most of the time, so... We played a whole a number of games on, with different different teams, and yeah. uh, everybody got to have their share of victory. That's yes. right, and um, defeat. <laughs> everybody was afraid of uh, Brother Steve's throw. <laughs> it was like a bullet. It definitely wasn't his first time throwing a frisbee. Yeah, and and combined with the cold and the frisbee, you know, being like uh, hard as a rock because it was so cold. When he threw that thing, half the time I just tried to like not even be around when, when it was. What did we did win? <laughs> you and I won. Oh, we did. Yeah, oh, we that's did. That's right. I put it in the bucket, didn't I? You did. I did. So, oh well, but it yeah. was fun. We okay, and, and for some highlight f- pictures from uh, the Can Jam tournament, be oh, sure. Wait, wait. wait. Be we didn't sure. even get to sign off on the pictures. <laughs> Be sure and check under uh, the news and more section on the oh, website. No. Oh, no. At, yeah. Uh, oh, no. That's in the Bible.com. <laughs> Is it there right now? I want to look right now. It's there right now. Oh, man. Oh, there's a video? Oh, no, that's not it. No, no, no. There's there's pictures. Well, it's not at the time that we're recording this. I don't oh, have them there. I was but, looking right now. But when uh, when oh, people are listening to this, they will be there. Oh, good. So we can still sign off. You can certainly sign off. Lord willing. That's right. You can sign off. (laughs) Doesn't mean you have veto power. (laughs) No, I was talking about signing off on the pictures. I know. That's what I mean. You You don't have veto power on what picture goes up there. (laughs) Eric has the master control and he loves it. I know. I'm going to have to get sound effects. I would have said, but but that's all, folks. <laughs> uh, no, those are good pictures. Steve's got the best poses because when he way he throws that throws that frisbee and yeah, he's doing some interesting uh, positioning. <laughs> but he's but he, you are pretty accurate with it, Steve. I will give you that, especially in the wind. I guess you have to throw it. 100 miles an hour, cut through the wind. <laughs> well, I'm really, I'm really not throwing it that hard. It's just it's coming off a little bit differently. It's not a conventional throw, so it'll go straighter. But hmm. uh, Actually, it I, is that hard. Over the years, I've learned to throw <laughs> If you're catching it, it's that hard. <laughs> well, it's got reverse spin on it, so that makes it worse. It's got something on it. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Strobel had to go get padded mittens to, in order to catch that thing. <laughs> For the record, they were work gloves. <laughs> uh, I got a close-up on the photograph. Yeah, they'll, they'll be able to tell, unless you doctored the photograph, <laughs> which we wouldn't put past you. Yeah, that's for sure. No, we'd it's never. Pink, pink mittens on there. <laughs> oh, man. We'd never think of doing that. <sighs> now we just gave him some ideas. <laughs> Who's we? You. You. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, it was a good, it was a good time with some can jam. It was a good time with fellowship, and uh, I can't we'll stand up for Luther. Thank you, thank you, Elmer. <laughs> we'll have to do it again and uh, have the rubber match. All right.
It'll be good. Not waiting and, for you to challenge. I'm going to go ahead and challenge first. So. It'll be nice. We'll be able to play in some temperate weather for a change. <laughs> Come to my house and it'll be windy again. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you're hoping for. I, I'd like to just do it in regular weather. Just no wind. It was good. All right. It's just, I also did want to mention that uh, we had some folks that uh, asked about our music at the start of the show and that is from a group called uh the song is called jesus is coming soon and the group is called his reflection and uh, his reflection is a gospel quartet uh from syracuse new york their home church being buckley road baptist church in liverpool new york and we want to thank them for letting us uh use their their song and their music because travis said yes of course, yes. at the time he at the he said yes, we could use it. At the time, he wasn't really sure what he was saying yes to. <laughs> yeah, he didn't know really what was going to be on the podcast. <laughs> but I think he senses signed off on it, so that's good. And while we don't technically have a quote of the day today, we do have an, an, uh, a news article that we were. We were talking a little bit about this before the show started. Last episode was episode 31. Pastor Strobel brought us uh, Suicide is Not Painless, which um, I think we've all discussed it uh, and thought that it was a, a, a very good episode and, and also a, a timely episode. And I just happened to, to look at uh, the Time Magazine website. And then there's also a link in the show notes for that, so you can see it. But it says, the headline is, Is the U.S. Army Losing Its War on Suicide? And it begins, From the invasion of Afghanistan until last summer, the U.S. military had lost 761 soldiers in combat there. But a higher number in the service, 817, had their own taken their own lives over the same period. The surge in suicides, which have risen five years in a row, has become a vexing problem for which the Army's highest levels of command have yet to find a solution, despite deploying hundreds of mental health experts and investing millions of dollars. And they do go on, and it's quite a lengthy article, and they, they talk about some of their frustrations with uh, trying to combat the um, the suicide problem. But they end the, uh, the article with... Uh, Brian's research, I guess one of the researchers here that, that are quoted, suggests that the Army's most effective suicide prevention strategy would be to make its troops suicide-resistant rather than trying to intervene once soldiers have decided to kill themselves. The Army seems to be listening. Its goal is more aimed at holistically improving the physical, mental, and spiritual health of our soldiers and their families than solely focusing on suicide prevention, says General Peter Shirelli, the service's number two officer and its key suicide fighter. So, you know, right there, uh, you know, suicide obviously is, uh, even in the service, it uh, poses a, a, a pretty dramatic problem. I, I, I honestly wasn't aware that it was at such the rates as it, as it is quoted in this article. Yeah, there's a lot of pressures, obviously, on the military and, and the people that get exposed to war. Um, invariably, they come back changed one way or another, and and some of them apparently are having a very difficult time handling it. I do like the end of the article where the approach is 
talking about trying to do it more in a, a preventive manner, dealing with the, the, the problem, because that's really what you got to do. You got to, I mean, if you can prevent it, prevent it as far as, as opposed to intervening, by the time you go to intervene, you may be too late, and mm-hmm. obviously they are in a lot of times. Mm-hmm. But the key for anybody to have a, s- a sound mind and then ultimately even even health and welfare in just your life is your relationship with the Lord. I mean, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Amen. That's it. He, he said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You know, and, and the Bible says that God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Amen. The root problem is if people can get a right relationship with the Lord, you know, they can, they can get a foundation they can handle. Uh, things and it's not always easy, but you have a friend that sticks closer than a brother to go through it with you, and uh, the world is just groping for answers, and unfortunately they're not finding any. That's why we're here. We we have the answer, and we want people to know about it. Amen. Amen. And, and not to belabor the this article or this point too much, but when they say improving the physical, mental, and spiritual health of our soldiers, I wonder how they're addressing the spiritual health. You know, and Steve, you were in the service, and I was in the service, and 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 from what I hear now, it's like what, who's, what spiritual, you know, who's uh, from what viewpoint, from what, from what, um, I don't know, camp is probably not the word, but from what aspect are they talking spiritual? Are they talking Jesus Christ, you know, and the Bible, or are they talking some other religion? Well, they're probably just talking about denomination. You know, to be honest with you, uh, I really have no uh, immediate firsthand, um, you know, information on how they're handling things other than what I get hearsay, you know, just from other people. But, you know, because it's been, what, almost 30 years since I've been out of the service. So, um, you know, for me to be up to date on what they're doing. But I, I've heard some things from, from people that were, were chaplains in the in the service and were in essence kind of forced out because of their strong faith in, in Jesus Christ. They don't want you know someone that's dogmatic um, at the exclusion of everyone else. If you know what I mean, more of an ecumenical type of uh, uh, stance as opposed to um, you know one way type of a thing. Uh, they're they're trying to approach everyone's needs as opposed to, you know, uh, with everyone's faith. Which, to be honest with you, I really don't have a problem with. But they but they do that at the exclusion of those that I personally believe have the truth <laughs> and can can be of most help, as Brother Scott's already already uh, discussed. You know, and this is, you know. How can I say this? This is almost uh, uh, anticlimactic after what uh, Brother Scott's already talked about because what he did say was the the real answer. But just looking at it from maybe a little bit different perspective and you uh, compare it with those from from other wars, uh, particularly, let's say, from World War II, uh, and, and this, by no means, is an is a accusation against anyone, but the training um, of the children coming up, you know, those that that participated in World War II, had a different 
set or uh, type of training than those that were brought up uh, to fight here in in Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, there was more character that was taught, uh, and with that character, a, a basic moral fiber. Now, it uh, doesn't mean they're saved, but they had a a moral fiber to be able to handle some of the, the stresses that came upon them when they were faced with the traumas that they face. I mean, seeing some of your buddies get blown up, uh, seeing some of the horrific things that they see, whether it's friendly or, or enemy, um, you know, dealing with the loss of limbs and, and uh, uh, the loss of, of those that, uh, you know, let's say loved ones that can't endure being married to someone who's lost limbs or, or has disabilities of some sort. And all of those things are, are contributing factors to what, you know, these guys are facing when they come home. And, um, you know, the uh, and I don't want to say it in a mean way, but the, the lack of character that, that a, this generation and even my generation had... Uh, compared to those that World War II had, you you have a greater uh, incidence of of suicide and so forth. I hope that doesn't sound too harsh, but uh, yeah, and just, I, I'm just looking at it objectively. And I don't want anybody to get the uh, the wrong impression that we're not supporting the troops and oh, and no, not no. Uh, you know thankful for the job that the the young servicemen and women are doing. Yeah, not, I, I, again, I, I want to make myself clear. I'm not saying that at all. I think they're doing a great job. And, you know, under the conditions that they're under, uh, <laughs> they're doing a tremendous job. So, Amen. Yeah, I used to think, too, about, you know, when I first got saved at one point, maybe to be a chaplain in the Army. And I remember about a year and a half ago, I, I worked with uh, a gentleman that's uh, another x-ray tech, and, and he's in the Army Reserves. And, uh, and he said, you know, you can, you can be a chaplain easily, you know, and, and I said, kind of like what Brother Steve said, you know, maybe a lot of the dogmatic ones uh, get kicked out or they don't allow them to be there and because and, uh, it does, it excludes all the others that don't believe the Bible, you know. And, uh, and so I think, you know, just, just as just, uh, what I have noticed is I think probably the biggest uh, maybe uh, field or missionary field that might be out there uh, not maybe one of the biggest, but uh, a good big chunk of it would be maybe some saved military uh, personnel in the military to be able to witness to others there. And, uh, you know, just to be next to, I know the camaraderie and all they, that, that they have, you know, they're brothers and they're, they go to war together. And, I mean, just for just a few Christians to be there and be next to all their brothers and say, hey, listen, you know, after this, there's, there's uh, life and death and, and there's a hell and a heaven. And uh, I think that uh, that witnessing right there would be even more uh, uh, more of an effect than even maybe a chaplain that doesn't go out there on the front lines with them. And, uh, you know, I, I pray if there's any anybody that's even listening overseas or, or something like that that is a Christian and uh, to, to just speak up, you know, and, and tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ and, and that he's the only way. Amen. I do know of uh, saved people in the service, and you're right, that's a tremendous, you know, grassroots ground approach a way of, of, of dealing with situations having them witness and there's a lot of them that do that and uh, when we pray for our military which we do regularly at our church um, in our Wednesday night prayer service 
And, and when we pray for them, that's one thing we could pray for, is that the Lord would uh, give them uh, boldness to right. open up their mouth and speak uh, the gospel like, like they ought to. Because uh, these guys are dealing with people that are going into the jaws of death. Just on our visitation Saturday, I ran into um, a young man that was um, getting ready to go to Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And so he, he, he had an open ear. He didn't have a lot of time to, to hear everything right now. But um, uh, he'd been in Iraq before, but not in Afghanistan. And you know, I asked him if he was a little nervous about it. And he said, uh, well, you see the news. And uh, mm-hmm. yes, yes, we do. So there's people that are facing death, and it's, it, there's no time to put off witnessing in there. And um, I know of uh, a young man in uh, Connecticut. I've met some um, Christian uh, as well, men in um, uh, California that are in the service and are, are Christians and you know, have a, a witness and a testimony I trust. And if there are, any of them are listening, I just want to encourage you to uh, be the witness that Matt was talking about as well. I just say amen to, to what he said. Let them know about Jesus, and uh, you do that. We'll, we'll be praying for you. Amen. All right, and Matt, uh, are we alone in the universe? That's yeah, a that's captivating title there, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's something that I've you know before I was saved and all that I always wondered about, and and uh, you know I, I I'm sure there's some out there uh, that don't know and would like to know, and just want to give some Bible answers to that. All right. Well, unless someone has something else to add, I think we'll get we'll get right into the lesson. Are you ready, Matt? I'm ready. All right, here we go. All right, guys, thanks a lot. I appreciate the opportunity to be able to do this again. And I don't take this uh, for granted. And uh, uh, the question tonight is, are we alone in the universe and many questions can be asked just on this very subject, uh, such as, are, are there life forms on other planets other than our own? Uh, if so, where did they come from? Could God have created these life forms, or could it be a result of evolution taking place on other planets? I mean, these are all questions that I've been asked, and uh, since I've been saved and accepted Christ as my Savior, I've been asked this a bunch of times. And uh, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, I'm sure this has come up uh, in your conversations with the lost. Um, there's been situations where, where they say, well, how could the God of this uh, earth die for us, be buried and rise again and just die for us? What about all the other planets and everything that's out there? What about them? You know, the Bible says for all of us Christians to be able to give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And the Bible also says that we are to prove all things. We're supposed to be able to tell people what's right, what's wrong, according to the Bible, according to the Word of God. And, uh, you know, I would, I remember I'd even just uh, sit outside at nighttime before I was saved and uh, lay under the stars. And probably many of you have done that before, too. And you look up, you see the North Star, you see the Little Dipper, the Big Dipper, and you just look at the vastness of space. And by knowing now all that we know, which still isn't a lot, about how big this universe is, you, you do. You, you lay out there and you kind of wonder, man, look at all that, all those stars. Could there really be something more out there, um, something more out there in this universe? And, uh, 
you know, I always used to be intrigued when I would find a TV show and it would be based on aliens or UFOs, you know, and, uh, and uh, they would bring people on and say, yeah, I was abducted by aliens and, and, you know, I took a spaceship out into uh, the stars and, and I was always intrigued by that kind of stuff, you know, and, and uh, just the stories that were brought about and, and it would always just kind of catch my eye. And uh, it, it just kind of the, the thought of just aliens always fascinated me. But uh, tonight I want to answer these questions that both probably many saved and lost people alike may have. And I'm going to answer these questions using the authorized King James Bible. And by the end of this Bible study, uh, my main goal is to answer any questions that you may have. But the other goal is also to equip you uh, with biblical answers that you'll be able to tell others and you'll be able to show others from the Bible. But before we start any study out of God's book, which of course is a spiritual book, we need to ask the author of it for guidance and discernment uh, to lead us into all truth. I mean, this is a subject that uh, many say is taboo and we shouldn't talk about and things like that. But again, we need to have an answer. We need to be able to uh, prove what's right and wrong according to the Bible. So let's pray before we attempt to tackle this. Dearly Father, Lord, I just thank you for tonight. I thank you for the opportunity to be here, Lord. I thank you for, first of all, saving my soul. I thank you for sending your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. Uh, to be buried and to rise again in his own power, Lord. And, uh, Lord, he's seated up in the right hand of you. And, uh, Lord, I can't wait for him to come back and take me home, Lord. I thank you that uh, my salvation is sure, that I'm not, I can't lose my salvation no matter how bad of a sinner I still am, Lord, that I have the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing me from all unrighteousness. I thank you, that, Lord. I, I pray tonight that you will, Lord, just uh, get me out of the way, Lord, that you'll uh, uh, cleanse me from all sin, that I've committed, Lord, that, that you'll, uh, Lord, just uh, get my flesh out of the way. And, uh, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will speak through me. And, uh, Lord, that I will only go by what the Bible says and uh, what you say in that word of God, Lord. I pray for, if there is anybody that's out there tonight, Lord, that needs this subject, that needs answers, Lord, that they'll uh, have open ears, open heart. And, uh, Lord, that this will be a help and a blessing to them, Lord. And, and I pray that if there is anybody that is lost and not saved and doesn't know 100% for sure when they leave this earth that they're going to go to heaven, Lord, that they'll get set, that settled, Lord, before uh, it's too late, Lord. I thank you again just for everything you do for us every day. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, before we run the quotes from researchers and scientists or specialists in this area, we first need to establish one main fact, which is that God, that the God that created the whole universe and the God that created everything in it is your author of this King James Bible. We believe this uh, 1611 authorized King James Bible is the pure, inerrant words of God. I mean, you know, as, even if you're a Christian here tonight, uh, a lot of times you lose the, uh, the sight of that we have a God-breathed book right here, that God left us a perfect book, a perfect reference book to be able to uh, go to and be able to find any answers that we could have in this whole entire earth. Uh, you know, I was talking about just in the beginning here about going out and looking up uh, into the stars, into the vastness of space up there. And what you got to look at is you got to think, man, the God that created all everything that you see, he spoke all the worlds into existence, is the same one 
that, that breathe this book to us. I mean, every single word, when we read that, those words right there are created by the same exact God that created everything that we see up in the sky. And, I, you know, the Bible says that we're supposed to read this book and we're supposed to tremble at its words. And I think there's a lot of Christians, even sometimes me, myself, that, that don't take this book uh, as we should, that we should tremble at his words because it's the very words of God. And, uh, uh, we need to we need to understand that when we go to a subject such as this, such as a subject that that uh, uh, so many people have so many ideas about and uh, so many thoughts and so many uh, uh, scientists and so many researchers go and they and they search things out, but a lot of times they don't start at the at the Bible and and that's a problem. And, and l- let me give you an example. Say you've got uh, this building. I live in an apartment complex. It's it's about three floors. Uh, it's got about 150 so uh, uh, apartment apartments in them, and uh, you know, say you get say five researchers. Now they've got the plans, the ar- architecture plans, all laid up out in front of them. But what they say is, you know what? We're not going to use that. We're going to bypass all the plans that has all the where all the wiring is and the walls, what it's all made out of, the materials, uh, when it was made. Um, and all those certain facts, uh, we're going to bypass all that, and we're going to go right to the building. We're going to maybe take a piece of the wall out, maybe test it. Uh, we're going to try and uh, carbon date it and see how old it is. We're going to go to uh, the upstairs, and we're going to see maybe where the plumbing is by ripping up the floor and try and follow it. Uh, so you would say, well, why would they do that when they have the plans? They have the architecture plans laid right out in front of them. Well, you would think that's kind of ridiculous. Well, the same thing happens today. I mean, here we got this uh, this uh, King James Bible. It's the, the the architecture plans for everything, for everything that was created. And this art, and this book right here was created by God, and God created the whole universe. And what people do is they just bypass it. They bypass it before they even uh, get a so- solid foundation. And just to kind of give another example of this as well is, just uh, recently in the past week, I don't know if you guys have been hearing about this, but supposedly they were going to have a special on the Shroud of Turin. And this was a big thing. You know, they, they say that this is the, could be the image of Jesus Christ that was left on this uh, uh, long towel or long, you know, sheet of, of uh, cloth. And, uh, <clears throat> and everybody at work would say, oh, Matt, did you hear about this? That supposedly they have all these new science scientists and they have all these uh, researchers and they're they've really got a uh, a good grasp now of new things they found out about this shroud of turin and it's going to be on tv and uh you know the amazing thing to me is they even had not only scientists but they even had religious leaders on this show uh and they say that they could uh shed more light than ever was before on this whole subject now don't get me wrong i think science uh, uh science is a good thing uh, but only good science and not science falsely so-called. Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20 said that there is a science that's falsely so-called. Now, I could save these scientists and religious leaders a lot of time and energy and a lot of money with just a few verses from the Bible. I mean, we go to the, the, uh, the main plans, the architecture plans right now, and I can show you why this Shroud of Turin is not real. When you look up Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, it gives us a prophecy that Jesus Christ, uh, before he would uh, die on that cross, and it says that his uh, beard was ripped right off his face, that they plucked his hair off of his face. 
Now, when you look at that Shroud of Turin, is what they were talking about. That person on there has a, a, a beard, and Jesus Christ didn't have a beard. Also, when you look in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14, it tells us that Jesus didn't even, when he was done uh, with all the beatings, he didn't even look like a man anymore. I mean, he was so marred beyond recognition that he didn't even look like a man. You couldn't even recognize that it was a man. But when you look at this Shroud of Turin, uh, it doesn't even look like the person was beaten. Uh, the, you could see the nose perfectly. There was no, uh, it looked like there was no really any problems with the person at all. Now, thirdly, and I think this is the biggest one, is that the burial clothes that Jesus was wrapped in was these linen cloths that were wrapped much like maybe a mummy in Egypt would have been wrapped. And that you can see in John chapter 19, verse 40. So, as you can see, uh, I mean, what they do is they bypass all this information that God has laid out for them, and they try and find this out on their own. I mean, you've got all these religious leaders on there saying, well, it could be. Uh, I don't think it is. Well, why don't you think it is? You know, give the verses for it. And if you think it is, I can show you right now that no matter what science you use, no matter what you use, hey, it could be somebody that was crucified on a cross, but it wasn't Jesus Christ because the Bible tells us so. So that's what I'm saying. Before we go to anything else, we need to look to the Bible first and get a biblical foundation before we go anywhere else. Because without a biblical foundation, we can start with a formula, but it's going to be the wrong formula and give us the wrong answer. So the question is, are we alone in the universe? And this question has been uh, on the minds of men for hundreds of years. And it started with the invention of the telescope. Uh, well, this is where it kind of got heavy. And the, event, uh, the uh, invention of the telescope in 1608, and then the invention of the radio telescope in 1931, we were then able to have both eyes and ears into the deep parts of space. And the bigger and the bigger the universe becomes to us, and the more we find, the more speculation arises. Many say, with all the trillions of stars and planets, how can we truly be the only life forms out there? Uh, the interest of UFOs and little green men and gray men and all these different aliens became even more popular uh, on June 24th, 1947, when Kenneth Arnold was flying his single-engine plane over the Cascade Mountains in western Washington State. And he saw nine, uh, nine objects flying in single file at an estimated speed of 1,600 miles per hour, which at that time was three times faster than any known aircraft available. Arnold later stated that these unidentified flying objects, and I quote, flew like a saucer, which if you skipped it across the water, this is, this, this is where the flying saucers began to become a popular subject. And then only eight days later, on July 2nd, 1947, the most famous UFO incident occurred in Roswell, New Mexico, as a supposed crash saucer with alien bodies was recovered by the United States military. From then on, uh, Hollywood took over, and they knew that they had an audience, that they could uh, really rake in a lot of money. And so what they did was they brought out all these movies that showed these uh, saucers and these aliens, these, these little green men and things like that, coming in and invading Earth. Now, let's look at this. God tells us in Revelation chapter 19, verse 6, that God is omnipotent. And that means that he's all-powerful and can do anything. Now, when people look at this verse, they say, well, well if that's true, if he can do anything then if you say that God did not make any other life forms on other planets, then you'd be limiting, it, limiting his all-powerful uh, abilities, that you'd be putting him in a box. But what you got to look at is to say that, to say that you would be limiting God and putting him in a box, and by saying that, uh, and saying that he would make him a liar, that's not right. 
That's not right because God does get put in a box. And I'll show you that. When you look in the Bible, uh, God puts himself in a box and that box is the word of God. Now, God can do anything as long as it does not conflict with his written word. Now, for example, since God is omnipotent, he's all-powerful, and can do anything, then he can lie, right? Well, no, that's not right. God cannot lie according to Titus chapter 1, verse 2. Now, another one. Since God can do anything, then he can change, correct? No, that's not correct. According to Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, God does not change because it's recorded in the word of God. So as you can see, no one puts God in a box. God puts himself in a box, and that's the word of God. Now, God's words will never change. Psalm chapter 119, verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Now, God has limited himself to his unchanging word and has no intention of freeing himself from it. So when we look to this Bible, when we look to this word of God, we can see that God will not work outside of what the word of God says. God will not uh, conflict with anything that's in this word of God. Another example of that is when Jesus Christ came on this earth, he was here to fulfill the law. He was here to uh, do everything that was uh, in the scriptures. When you look at all his prophecies and all that, when he was dying on the, uh, on the cross, and when Judas Iscariot uh, came and betrayed him, it said that all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, that was written in the scriptures. Everything that Jesus Christ did was in a box, was in the Old Testament that was prophesied of him, and he fulfilled it in the New Testament. God puts himself in subjection to the word of God, to his own words. Now, let's look in the Bible and see if it's in God's character to populate other planets. Is it in God's character? It's, is it in his nature to pick other planets? Or is it in his character to just pick one planet to populate? Now, the Bible reveals a distinct pattern to God's behavior. And with this pattern, we can then apply these standards to the issue of whether or not there is life on other planets. So let's look at some of these examples from the Bible uh, to find this pattern. And the first example can be found in Genesis chapter 2. Now, again, we're trying to find a pattern of whether or not God would populate all different kinds of planets, or maybe it would just be a pattern of one planet that he would populate. Genesis chapter 2, verse 26. Oh, that's not the verse I want. Go to Genesis chapter 1, in verse 26. The Bible says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fall of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fall of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So we see here that God created Adam and Eve, and he did not create uh, groups and pockets of men and women all over the world when he first created man, but he created uh, just Adam, and he created Eve in one place on the earth, and the whole, a whole human race came from just one man, and that's Adam. Now you see here that God discriminates, and he makes one race of intelligent life and places them in one place on the whole earth. Now it's taboo today to say that, that God discriminates. But the bottom line is, is that God knows the difference between a man and a woman, first of all, that there's differences, that a man has uh, something, some attributes that a woman doesn't. And also a woman has some attributes that a man doesn't. And there's things like that that God 
uh, discriminates on. And here, he could have chose any place he wanted to, but he chose where he put Adam and Eve uh, in Eden. He chose that area on the whole entire earth. And he chose just to, to, uh, to make one man. Now, the second example I want you to see is Genesis chapter 6. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 17. And the Bible says, And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant. Now God's talking to Noah. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons, and thy wife, and thy sons' wives, with thee. Now when God destroys the earth with a global flood, only one man was saved with his family. God discriminates and kills all others. He, did, he killed all men, women, and children that were on this earth. And the whole reason is because they did not believe God. They didn't, they didn't believe that there was a judgment coming and that uh, they had to get on the ark to be saved. God gave them 120 years of, uh, of Noah preaching, a preacher of righteousness, the Bible says. And they didn't heed that call. And God discriminates and only takes those that believe God. And that's only one family. Now turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to see example three of a pattern that we're going to see about God. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, when God wants to create a nation, he chooses only one man to do it. He chose Abram. And with the exclusion of thousands of other candidates, I mean, if it was a modern person today, they'd be like, well, that's not fair. I mean, they, God should give every single person a chance. They should come and, and they should try out for it and they should do, uh, you know, jumping jacks and they should do all these flips and, and see who can be the greatest one. But God said, no, I, I choose Abram. That's the one person that I choose to make me a great nation. Now, look, example four, which is in Deuteronomy chapter seven. Again, we're looking to see if God has a pattern in his written word on how he deals uh, with, uh, with uh, if he chooses just one with the exclusion of the others or if he chooses many. In Deuteronomy chapter seven, in verse six, the Bible says, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Now when God calls out a people, only one nation of people is selected, the nation of Israel. God didn't choose any of the other uh, potential nations, only the Jews. I mean, you think about all the nations that are on this earth, that were on the earth at that time, and God said, no. Oh, I choose just one nation out of the many, many of hundreds of different nations that are there. I only choose one. Now turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. And we're going to see this uh, fifth example here on how God deals with, uh, with a certain pattern here that he's got. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 18. The Bible says, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed... Have I given this land from the river of Egypt under the great river, the river Euphrates? God chose one piece of land for himself and his chosen people. He chose Israel. I mean, when you think about it, God could have 
uh, put the Jews, and he could have sporadically just put them all over the world and said, you're going to have dominion here, over here. Oh, you can be in South America. We can put some over in Australia. We'll put a pocket over here. Uh, but you know what he said? He said, no, I'm going to put just a, my people in my throne when I, when I reign on this uh, earth. It will only be in just a small land of Israel. He chose only one spot uh, f- for where he was going to deal. Now, the sixth example here, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're starting to see a pattern here in how God works. God works in the confines of his Bible here, and we're seeing a pattern that he uh, puts out for himself. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. The Bible says here that God just had one Savior. That was Jesus Christ. That was God in human flesh. And he came to this earth and he died on the cross. He was buried and he rose again the third day. And the Bible says that he led captivity captive. And the Bible says that there's only one Savior in the whole world, one mediator between God and man. There's only one way to heaven. John chapter 14, verse six says that Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. God said, listen, there's only one way. There's only one way. There's only one Savior. Out of the exclusion of hundreds of different religions, out of uh, hundreds and thousands of different prophets and, and, and good people to try and get to heaven, God discriminates and only chooses one. Those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ can go to heaven. Now we see here that these six examples show us clearly that God discriminates and chooses one over the thousands, if not millions of other possible candidates. And this is God's pattern that is laid out in the Bible. So let's kind of recap a little bit what what we got so far. The first thing is, is that God limits his actions to his written word. The second thing is that God many times chooses only one to the exclusion of the vast majority. Now let's look and see uh, and take a look and see that God favors earth, the planet earth that we're on right now, over all other planets and stars. And I'm going to show you five reasons on why uh, God uh, uh, favors earth over all others. So the first thing is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, the first thing I want you to see here is that the earth was the first planet ever created by God. There was no other planet created by God but earth. Earth was first. And God even made the earth before he created the sun and the moon or any of the stars. Go to verse 16 in Genesis chapter 1. Verse 16 says, And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. So earth, from the very beginning, was always the center of God's attention. Was always the center of God's attention. Now God's dealings have always dealt here on earth or in heaven and no other planets. Now, the second example here, of, uh, uh, or the second reason why, why God favors earth over all others, all other planets, is because that he named the earth. God named earth, and God never named any of the other planets. If you really search it out and you look in the Bible, uh, in just history as well, you see that all these other planets that we've named, Pluto, Mars, all these other places, uh, were named by humans, by us. And they've all been named after uh, the false gods. They were never named by God. The only planet that was ever named by God was Earth. Now, the third reason here that God favors Earth over all other planets 
is found in Psalm chapter 115. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 115. And in Psalm chapter 115, verse 16, the Bible says, The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. Earth was intentionally created by God purposely to be inhabited by man. The earth's breathable atmosphere didn't come about by chance, but God created it solely for mankind. I mean, God created earth solely for mankind. Now look with me also uh, over in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, you hear people say all the time, well, why would have God made all the stars, all the, all the other planets that are out there right now if he didn't uh, intend to uh, put people on there or different races of, of beings on there? Well, let's see right now at this time why God put those out there, why God put the stars, the moon, the, uh, the sun, all those other things that are out there in the vast universe, why God put those out there. Genesis chapter 1 verse 14 says, And God said, Let there be the lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. All these were created for light for us on the earth. They were created solely for the earth and for our benefit. Now, next, I want you to go to Daniel chapter 2 for our fifth example here, for our fifth reason. Daniel chapter 2, in verse 44, the Bible says, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Now, the earth is also destined to become the home of God's kingdom for all eternity. I mean, the earth was chosen by God. God has no problem excluding the trillions of planets in the universe. God himself plans to one day literally and physically and permanently set his throne upon earth. No other planet, just on planet earth. So here we see that it is God's behavior and nature in choosing one over the majority. God chose planet earth over all the other planets to be inhabited by intelligent life. So biblically, according to God, there's no little green man that God created to inhabit other planets. Now, some might say that uh, God allowed evolution to take place, and, and that would arrive at new species, new species on other planets. But again, that goes against God's nature. That goes against his book. God does not deal with random chance as evolution does. God either creates it into existence or he doesn't. The Bible tells us specifically that God created man, animals, and the planets without any evolution process. To believe in evolution or theistic evolution, which is a belief that God started off evolution and just sits back and watches you, uh, you'd have to throw out the Bible to believe that. The God of the Bible tells us that sin brought death in the world. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. That the, the result of uh, our sin brings forth death. But when you look at theistic evolutionists, what they believe is that they believe death is a good thing. And that it brings about life. Because what happens is hundreds of thousands, if not millions and billions of, of these uh, life forms have to suffer and they have to die until they evolve to a certain point that they can survive. And that's not, first of all, that's not possible. But that's not my God. 
my God doesn't make things that that he 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 doesn't make things that have to evolve. He makes things that are perfect and complete and finished. And he doesn't rely on death uh, to bring just a beautiful race. That's not my God. Now, I get asked a lot what I think about uh, the space program. Now, th- this is a touchy subject with people. I don't really know why. I think it kind of goes back to our roots that uh, you know we really want to know what's out there. We we want to know what's what's really in space. And, uh, and a lot of people don't like my answer that I give them <laughs> and, uh, they, they don't really care for, uh, uh, really what I, what, what I think and what the Bible says, but don't get me wrong. I mean, I love seeing the amazing sites that God's created. I mean, he's, he's created so many amazing things out there that we haven't even discovered yet. But, uh, but have you ever asked yourself, uh, whether or not we should leave our breathable atmosphere? I mean, we can breathe in the atmosphere that God's given us, but not many times does the question arise, should we leave our atmosphere? Now, on July 20th, 1969, NASA landed astronauts on the moon. But if you've ever seen footage of this moonwalk or even any spacewalks that they do outside the shuttles, you will uh, notice that all have spacesuits on that pump uh, them oxygen into their lungs. Now, when you look in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, turn with me real quick to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, we're going to see more about this breath of life. And uh, Genesis chapter 6, in verse 17, And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven and everything that is in the earth shall die. Now, here God said that uh, in Noah's time that he was going to destroy everything, everybody that has uh, the breath of life in them. Now, knowing that breath gives us life, I mean, think about it. Why do you think God created the earth with a breathable atmosphere, but an unbreathable space? Why do you think God intentionally created outer space with an unbreathable atmosphere? Now, I know exactly why. And turn with me to Psalm 115. We just looked at this verse a little while ago, but this gives the answer right away. Psalm 115 in verse 6, uh, Psalm 115 in verse 16. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. I mean, God specifically gave us the earth for us, but guess what's God's? The heavens. That means the second and third heavens are God's. I mean, even up in the clouds, God says it's his, but the earth is where we belong. We believe on the, we belong on the earth, on the land. Now, uh, now this second heaven, when you look at it, it acts as a buffer zone between the first and third heavens. Now, it, there's three heavens. We've been over this in the podcast on, uh, on Bible facts about heaven. The first heaven is our breathable atmosphere. Uh, the second heaven uh, is the whole universe with all the stars, planets, moons, all that kind of stuff. The third heaven is where God resides. And this here, this, this second heaven, this universe with uh, just a dark black space that's uh, like a void. You can't even breathe in it. It acts as a buffer zone. It's, the, it's between uh, the first and third heaven. And it makes it so that man can't travel between those two places. And it's, it's almost as if God's quarantined life to the surface of the earth. Now, you couldn't give me a million dollars to get into one of those uh, space shuttles. 
And uh, I mean, when you look out there, darkness is the only thing that's in in the second heaven. And uh, if you get a concordance and you uh, do a little Bible study on the word darkness, it never comes out good. It's never a good connotation. And uh, not only that, if you really want to get technical about it, we're not the only ones in the universe. Now, space right out there in the second heaven is littered right now with fallen angels as well as the devil himself. Those aren't uh, beings that you want to mess with. But, uh, I, I mean, fallen man wants to fulfill the same lust of their father, the devil. When you look in John chapter 8, verse 44, the Bible says that every lost person is a son of the devil. Every lost person is not a child of God. Every person that has been born again is the son of the devil. And John chapter 8, verse, 40, uh, John chapter 8, verse 44 says that the same things, the same lusts that their father has, which is the devil, is the same ones that they want. And guess what that lust is? Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. This is speaking about the devil. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. This same truth applies to every human being here on earth. Now, if you're trying to get to heaven on your own merits, on your own good works, in the end, you'll be brought down to hell, just as Satan will be, just as your father, the devil, will be brought down into hell. Now, but if you want to go to heaven and be with God for eternity, the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Bible says you have to understand that you're a sinner, that you deserve hell, that you can't get to heaven, you can't ascend to heaven on your own, that you can't get there by your own good works. You have to believe that Jesus Christ died for you, that he was buried and he rose again, and he can lead you to heaven as well. He'll come back. Uh, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior five years ago. I repented of my sins. I knew that my sins uh, put me in a destiny for an eternal lake of fire, a place where I would burn for eternity. And I repented of my sins. I told the Lord that I'm sorry for him, and I, and I accepted him. I trusted him as my Lord and personal Savior. And uh, right now, I'm just waiting for my space flight out of here. I mean, all these people, NASA, uh, at the Houston Space Center there, they want to get up. They want to ascend and be like the Most High. They want to be just like Satan, and they want, uh, Satan wanted to be, and they wanted to uh, get their throne above the God, and they wanted to get there on their own good merits. But I'm not waiting for that. I'm not waiting for a space shuttle to get me up there. I'm waiting for Jesus Christ to come down. I'm waiting for Jesus Christ to come down. And the Bible just has an amazing uh, few verses here. I want you to turn there and I want you to see it. It's in 1 uh, Thessalonians. Now, if you're a, a blood-bought, uh, born-again Christian, you can apply this to your life because this is going to happen. This is going to happen to you. But if you've never been saved, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you don't, you, you don't have this to look forward to. You can't comfort yourself with these words. But look at this, what this says. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another 
with these words. Now, what about you? I know, I know for sure I'm taking that space flight out of here uh, when Jesus Christ comes back, and that could be at any time. But what about you? Are you trying to get to heaven on your own good works? Are you trusting like the devil did and, uh, and like all these others that they're trying to get there on their own good works? Or are you going to trust Jesus Christ and only his finished work on the cross? So again, we, we, we aren't, we're not alone in the universe. We have a devil. We have fallen angels. Uh, we have others saved that are in heaven right now. We have many that are lost that are burning in a lake of fire right now. But we have a holy and we have a righteous God that is up in heaven. And he says right away, right now, that he's knocking at the door. He's knocking at the door of your heart. And he says, if any man shall answer, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. He wants to come into your heart right now. He wants to save your soul and take you to heaven when you pass away. I hope that you'll trust him if you haven't already and take that space flight out of here one day when he comes back and be in heaven. Thanks, guys. Okay, thanks, Matthew. Covered a lot of ground there. Guys, what do you think? Oh, it was interesting. Um, a lot of interesting things to say. You know, one of the things you were talking about, Matt, when you mentioned about the space program and how controversial it is, uh, not really going to talk about the space program but but one thing it did remind me of it reminded me of Genesis chapter 11 uh, you know the the attempt uh, by the space program to get up into space uh, and uh, it seemed as though in Genesis chapter 11 that's exactly what they wanted to do in Genesis chapter 11 verse 4 it says uh, and they said go to let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make a name, us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Uh, their attempt was to, to reach God. And, uh, you know, I don't know that the original or, or any attempt by NASA was really for this reason, but uh, I've heard it said that, that they wanted to disprove God by getting up into space. Somehow, some way, you know, you get all these uh, shows that have the uh, telescopes and they're going out and they're telling you all the facts and figures that they're getting about all the star clusters and the nebulas and the galaxies and all that kind of stuff. And, and all they're trying to do is they're trying to prove that there is no God. And, uh, uh, of course, <laughs> All of their comments are maybe and hope so, or not hope so, but maybe and could be and, and so forth. There's nothing of any real definite surety. And, of course, all God had to do to confound men at the time of Genesis chapter 11 was to mix up the language. Um, I, who knows what he's going to do now to mess them up. Maybe he won't do anything, but uh, certainly man's attempt to reach God by getting up into heaven on his own effort is not going to make it. And you've well stated that uh, they need to trust the Lord Jesus Christ so they can uh, make sure that they make that uh, flight without a spaceship, by the way. Amen. Amen. Well, certainly not everybody in the space program is anti-God and anti-Bible and so forth. Matter of fact, I was reading a book one time uh, on the moon. I think it was called The Moon. And uh, people, the the missions of uh, the space and so forth, and um, and one of the missions to the moon, and I don't remember if it was the first one, 
or uh, the time when they landed or, or just what. But um, I think it was on Christmas Eve of uh, the, the year when they were doing it. And um, one of the astronauts that was there actually pulled out the Bible and began to read from uh, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And um, from his vantage point, uh, he was struck with that. And that, that, all that being, uh, all that aside, it seems like in general what the space program is about is uh, people not understanding uh, Scripture, God's program in the Scriptures, because they're looking at um, the deterioration of the earth and uh, ecology, etc., and they realize that um, uh, unless something happens, uh, probably A, uh, the earth isn't going to last forever, or B, we're going to run out of room. And so in their minds, they're looking for uh, someplace else to put people, whether it's the moon or Mars or, or whatever. And the other thing that they're doing is they're sending out things like the Hubble telescope, um, continually thinking that we may find uh, new information about uh, our origins, when all they'd have to do is go back to the verse that um, the man read from uh, outer space before, yeah. in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Amen. 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 By the way, just as a side note, I was alive and listening when he did that. <laughs> when <he read> that. <laughs> wow, that's a first. <laughs> what, admitting that I'm old? Is that, no, man, I thought, well, new. All they have to do is look on the website. <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about uh, that you were awake and not asleep. <laughs> listening oh, to man. Yeah, listen to him. <laughs> See, I apply everything to myself, brother. What do you yeah. talk? Okay. <laughs> I, I was alive. I think I was watching the Cubs game. <laughs> and, and, and right about the time the guy stepped foot on the moon, uh, Ron Sano's home run landed in the bleachers, if I remember right. <laughs> Did they, they cut away from that then and go to the, uh, go to the <laughs> no, moon? I don't, I don't remember it for sure, specifically. You know, I would like to add this. Um, Matt, Matt made some great uh, points, and, and certainly the Lord has confined at this time um, humanity uh, to the earth, and, and this is where he intends for us to be. And uh, we're, we're not looking for little green men or blue or purple or anything else like that. That being said also, you know the Lord, when he created Adam and Eve on this earth, he um, eventually would tell them to um, multiply and replenish the earth. And supposing Adam and Eve had done that um, without a fall, with no nobody dying, and, I mean, by, by sin, when they sinned, that's how death entered into the world. The Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, in Romans 5.12. Well, suppose they hadn't sinned, and the wages of sin is death. And the Lord said, In the day that they ate thereof, they would surely die. But suppose they hadn't done that, and they were fruitful, and did multiply, and did replenish the earth, and they had children, and ultimately their children had children, and so on and so forth, to where we begin to increase the population exponentially, eventually you are going to run out of place on this earth. And ultimately, uh, as my understanding from the scriptures, that the Lord will, will ultimately populate, not in the condition man's in right now, but with perfect um, regenerated people that have been given uh, resurrection bodies, he ultimately will populate this universe. Um, if, if court, let me read you this verse, two verses. One's a very familiar verse you'll hear oftentimes around Christmas, and the other one is the verse following, Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verse 6, and then verse 7. For unto us a child is born, 
Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. He said of the increase of his government, the increase, that's how big it gets, the size. He said of the increase of his government peace, there shall be no end. And so while he's going to start from this earth, it would appear that um, ultimately uh, we'll have the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, but uh, you'll have people continuing to be um, born and increasing, and, and the Lord in his infinite power and wisdom is going to just continue to expand this thing exponentially. Amen. Science tells us the universe is expanding, and if they're right, um, we know why. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All of that stuff is just amazing. I mean, and people say, oh, the Bible is just a boring book, and when you think about what's in there, it's just amazing. Amen. Amen. Some somebody said uh, a famous preacher said the reason the Lord confined us all to this earth right now is because He didn't want uh, human beings to mess up the rest of the universe. Amen. <laughs> that's good. That's the truth. Yeah. That's why we're stuck down here. Amen. All right. Well, uh, we're out of time for today. And uh, let's see who's up for next the next uh, podcast. I think that's you, isn't it, Steve? Probably. Well, don't be so excited about it. <laughs> Body's always picking on me. I don't understand. I think I think we just thought of a new clip we could get, Eric. You know that? <laughs> Body's always picking on me. <laughs> Alrighty, well. Uh, Thanks again, Matt, for the lesson, and and it's good. Uh, it's just good getting together. It's look forward to it, and thanks for everybody that's uh, listened again. And hello to you, and and be sure and give us a, send us an email or go to the website and just respond. Let us know you're there, and maybe even suggest uh, some things that you'd like to you'd like to uh, see if, uh, you know answered from the Bible. You know, I I was talking to uh, one of the guys at church. He's just. Uh, his name's Dominic. He just came about six months ago to the church, and, and uh, he's been saved for about five years. And he was telling me, you know, it's it's hard for him to listen to the radio and, and some of the preachers on the radio because they never quote from the King James and King James Bible. And I said, you know, that's why we started this podcast is because it's a good time getting together. And, but also, you know, there's a, I think there's a drought for, for a good King James Bible-believing teaching. And, and uh, so so I, I really am glad that we're doing this, and, and it's, I'm just having a good time. And I think thank you, everybody that's listening. Amen. And if you know of another, another uh, King James or Bible podcast uh, similar to uh, what we put together here, let us know. Be interested to, uh, to take a listen as well. All right, guys. All right, it was fun. We'll see you next time, Lord willing. Many will meet their doom. Trumpets will sound. will surely sound. All of the dead shall rise. Righteous meet in the skies. Go with where no one dies. Heavenward bound. Heavenward bound. 
This has been a production of the That's in the Bible podcast. To leave a comment or to ask a question, visit our website at thatsinthebible.com or email us at thatsinthebible at gmail.com or call our listener feedback voicemail at 716-584-1611. Again, that's 716-584-1611. As always, thanks for listening and press on.